This is the program today. Gen Z saved the country. Gen Z saved the country. And today we also have with us, we're honored to have with us, El Señor Garcia. Thank you, Berto. Thank you for the invitation. Very happy to be here today. In the, I know it's a new studio, and congratulations, KPFT, for this new facility. Yeah. Even that is not working very well right now, but it's great to have uh, this is radio station for us to be able to communicate and create and, and share ideas. And I appreciate right. your invitation, Berto, to Politics Done Rights. Great, your program. I always listen it and i i really appreciate the opportunity to communicate about politics that i love well let me tell you something uh, uh john i i if you and i have spoke for a long time about getting you on this program and the reason why is that you are from what we call one of the countries that has some issues with both their economic systems and also an issue with what again uh el socialismo el capitalismo and what else Everything, I don't know. <laughs> Everything is problematic, but yes, socialismo, 21st century socialism, socialismo el siglo XXI. <laughs> it was a terrible invention. Right. Well, anyhow, let, let me first get started. I wanted to get you introduced before. As, as you guys know, we had some technical problems getting all started. So let's go ahead and get busy with, with what we really want to talk about here. And what we want to talk about is first the first part of the subject today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It is that... Our Gen Z population here in the United States saved the democracy in this country. A lot of people think that is hyperbole. It's not hyperbole. Let me give a quiet story uh, on, and it goes as follows. Earlier on, early on, what we find is that when Reagan came into office, he instituted something known as supply-side economics. And in the process, he created a group of people called the Reagan Democrats. And who were these Reagan Democrats? These Reagan Democrats were people who supported the policies that he put out there. And unfortunately, these policies were detrimental to the well-being, the economic well-being of people of the younger folks, people that were not baby boomers or the tail end of the Gen Xers, who suffered the, the biggest hurt, the biggest hit of supply-side economics, something that Bush called voodoo economics when he was running against uh, Reagan. Who suffered the biggest issue on that? It was the millennials and the, Gen and the Gen Zers and everybody beyond. All these people here suffered an economic pain that baby boomers never had to suffer, that the older Gen Xers never had to suffer. The baby boomers went to school at very reduced rates. The Gen Xers, the older Gen Xers went to school at reduced rates. They all had good health care that they could afford. These were things that were possible because we had a system where people invested in people. And those of you that are on, on, our, on the Internet, I understand that we don't yet have any. You can't hear us, but we are working on that right now as well. Okay, we're working on that the best we can. Now, we had... After Reagan, in as much as we had Clinton and, and, and Obama, etc., we still continued with the basic tenets of supply-side economics. And the results are for everybody to see. We are all poorer than anyone had ever imagined we could as a country. Now, on the other hand, we had a country like Venezuela... Venezuela has been swimming in oil for decades. For, for, for decades, Venezuela has been swimming in oil. But for somehow, we have not been able, somehow, the Venezuelan people have not been able to live up the dream of their wealth, 
of their natural resources that has given them wealth. Some people blame Carlos Andres Perez and all the presidents that came before him. Some people blame uh, uh, Hugo Chavez and many others. The question is, and I have uh, somebody who, who left Venezuela to come here, who we have solid discussions on whether or who is to be blamed for Venezuela and likely here in the United States as well. Welcome again, uh, John Garcia. Your thoughts on, on on my initial statement? Well, thank you, Berto. And yeah, well, f- first of all, congratulations to the U.S. on on going to vote and believing in the system and believing that the electoral system works and not eating all the BS of, of stolen elections and all that. And it is, uh, I think you were saying like the young people went to vote more than normal and yes. that that's a very good symptom that the democracy is alive and, and the people is, wants to participate. And that's the key. And, and going, I mean, just connecting that with Venezuela, we were a society that didn't participate. So we were in a, from 1948 to 1998. So those 50 years or are where society living the wealth handled by politicians, but it was enough money to a lot of people feeling that everything was okay. But the first 20 years of this democracy, we, we, first we were coming from a dictatorship, a military dictatorship, and then two parties on the center and center left were the ones like inheriting democracy. And th- these two parties were exchanging power every five years. Uh, Acción Democrática, Democratic Action, there was an ex-communist people that they founded this social democratic party. Mm-hmm. And another party that was more on the center or center right, Copay, that were actually, uh, every five years, we, we had like eight presidents from one of the parties and, and two presidents of the center right party. So most of the time, the center left was in power. First 20 years, a lot of investment in society. So our country always had free education, always had uh, very good health care. A, a lot of things that after Chavez was saying that I'm saving Venezuela because we didn't have, we always had that. And we had so much money with petroleum that we were living in a nice country. It was supposed to be one of the best countries to live in Latin America and, and everything. What happened with these two parties, like Democrats and Republicans? They just became corrupt. They stopping, they stopped investing that much on, on the services that started deteriorating, public health started deteriorating. Uh, education was always okay, but, but not really well publicized that people lost faith on these two parties and they stopped. The participation in elections started coming down, coming down. Every time people was not happy with politicians and it, it came the time of the outsiders. So in 1998, we had two outsiders. Actually, we had three. Uh, we, all the voters wanted to change these two parties. Democrats and Republicans was, they all got these two parties at Ecopay. They got 3% of the votes for that election. So three outsiders were the options. One Miss Universe lady. Mm-hmm. And one politician that he had been an entrepreneur, Enrique Salas Romer, he got 46% of the votes. An ex-military that intended a coup against the two establishment, Hugo Chavez. Mm-hmm. So Chavez won the election with 52%, the other guy 46%, and the establishment got 3%. So imagine that in some years in the future, the Republicans, Democrats get 3% and all the true outsiders get 97%. So that was how much pissed off our society was with the establishment. The thing was that instead of electing the entrepreneur, the business owner, we elected the military. And this military... His campaign was, he never used the word socialism. He never used the word revolution. He never used the word uh, Cuba or Fidel or whatever. He just said it's going to be a, a government without corruption, helping the poor, 
and organizing the government because this corruption, all this spending craziness is going to stop. So that's how he got the votes. And two years later, he started talking about Fidel, his best friend, socialism, revolution. And three years after that, we were all creating an opposition against this new regime. And that's how it, it was. Is He declared himself a socialist that he never advised, he never we never saw that coming when he was a candidate. Mm -hmm. And he was a real socialist. It means... What do you define as a socialist? Well, socialist is, is the person that wants to establish a system where the state, the government, owns the production means. And my question to you then is, was uh, Hugo Chavez a nationalizing absolutely every part of your system, or was he selectively nationalizing uh, companies that were, uh, that were trying to sabotage uh, the, the social services that he wanted to institute. Okay, that 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 was propaganda. Nobody was no, no, trying no. to sabotage anything. Yeah, he, he started nationalizing or confiscating whatever he wanted to confiscate that Sunday. So he had a TV show every Sunday that he was on in the on the screen and say, you know what, these these people, these owners are oligarchs and they are against the republic and so we're gonna take this company tonight and so people used to watch tv in fear just finding out that it's chavez gonna go against me today so it wasn't like an strategic thing the oil comp oil business was already property of the state mm -hmm. since 1970s. Right. So he said that it was a new nationalization that the, the real patriotism was now in the, but it was mostly, you know, propaganda. It, it, there was he and his people taking control of the country. Okay. Now, uh, you know, you said uh, there's a lot of propaganda involved, but yeah, he was but, a master of that. Now, but isn't it true though, that within that propaganda, there was in fact some social economic problems within the country. There was, as we are developing here in the United States as well. There was a uh, previous system was not a real free economy system. We, we always had companies that belong to the state before Chavez and it was a big size of the state that when you are very not efficient and when you're very corrupt, it takes a lot of money out of the economy. And the, so our poverty was growing. And so the, the problem was real. So the performance of the government, it was a center left government with a lot of intervention in the economy. It was performing so bad that it, it opens the opportunity for the outsiders. Right. But, and then what Chavez started to do is fighting with an imaginary enemy because he was saying that this is a extreme right politicians. We never had those. All our politicians were from the center left. This main party came to be a separation of the communist party to, to establish Acción Democrática. Mm -hmm. So it was not the far right. It was not the establishment or the, all that was a speech. And what actually happened is that they created a new oligarchy that is the current, I, I, the current I, you, you one jump, in power. You, you jump ahead to what I really wanted to talk about when we talk about oligarchy, because uh, my contention is that Venezuela has always been an oligarchic state, right? In other words, uh, Venezuela is a, I don't think people can grasp the wealth that Venezuela has, not only in oil, but in oro, um, gold, and, and many other natural resources. It's a, it's a curse. It, it, it yeah, is. We have so many minerals and that it has been so terrible. Everybody wants to grab a piece of that. Right. Let me tell you. But the thing about it, I, I, I repeat though, right? That, that is the most, it's one of the wealthiest countries in Venezuela. Yes. But since the 1950s, all the wealth was handled by the governments. It was not a private sector that was the owner of the mines or, or the oil fields or anything. It's, I mean, they, in the Venezuelan constitution, 
the underground belongs to the people. It mm-hmm. don't it don't belong to the owner of the overground. Let's stop for a second so, because that is a very important thing that uh, that even Chavez spoke about, right? That is theoretically speaking the truth. Unlike America, in America, uh, people can actually, if you own a piece of land and you own the mineral light rights of that land, you can you can get profit from the oil, royalties from the oil that's drilled on your land. Of course, you don't get a lot because the oil companies generally are thieves. But if you in Venezuela, it Venezuela had the right idea. Venezuela mm. had the right idea, unlike America, that whatever is under the land belongs to the people. Yeah, what I want to explain is that the problem, there was a problem, but the solution was much worse than the problem. Let, let, let's, so, let, let, the, let me describe the problem. Yeah, the but, problem but before you get there, I, I want to put it in the right context because I, I want to establish a baseline. The baseline is Venezuela says the, the, every, the, the mineral wealth of that country belongs to all the people. That is what's defined. In yes. America, that's not the case. On public land, even on public lands, those who exploit the, 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 the product get to profit from the product and the American people get virtually nothing from the profit of that product. That's yeah. America. Well, that sounds crazy. Yes. Right. Okay. Venezuela, the con, the initial concept is correct. Continue. Since the beginning, since right. the 1920s. When they started the first oil exploitation, right? Uh, all this, not all, but the ownership of the base is the people, right? Of course, the people that's handled by the government, right? And that's a problem. But never was part of any private sector. So right. when when the Chavista speech was saying that we have an oligarchy and these few families that handle all the country. That was true. That wasn't true. How can you say that when you have but the all the people who run the corporations are of the same class and a group of folks who run it all. But you have to imagine so don't try to imagine United yes. States Okay. As Venezuela. I got it. I got I'm going to explain you this. Yes. 80% of the economy in Venezuela before Chavez mm-hmm. was run by a state or company satellite to the state. So when you have a country that 90% of the wealth comes from oil and the oil belongs and is handled by the government. Right. So the whole economy is driven by the government and the state. Right. And then you have a few private sectors, families that are in other businesses, Mm -hmm. like maybe liquor companies or uh, newspapers. But the the big core, Mm -hmm. it it was a government-run, it was a state capitalism before Chavez. And uh, so this... Oligarchy was minor mm-hmm. in percentage of the, the GDP, maybe 5% of the GDP was controlled by private sector. I, I, right now I see that as a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. You need the people being the owners, not mm-hmm. the state being the owner. Okay. But it was that way before Chavez. Like, let me, let me ask you because I want to query because I, I want to make sure. And, and you know, we're friends. So everybody, does, yeah, we're, yeah. we're buddies. Uh, um, and, and this is where I try to get, get folks. Okay. It, there's a, there's a, in an oligarchy, there's a nebulous distinction between state and the powerful, the folks that are powerful. And my contention is that the, the, the appearances is that it's government control. But let's give an example, a U.S. example. We have everybody talks about government is uh, bad and government is running all these things. When in reality, it is contract, private contractors working for the government that seems like it's the government. And those that are ripping us off often, even though we talk about what government is doing, is actually the contractors for the government in cahoots with the leadership of the government that is screwing us all. Yeah, I, I'm not going to agree or not. I think you should, though. About if this is good <laughs> or bad. Yes. But I understand that right. when the government is not the owner and, and the private sector is is stronger, but that wasn't the case in Venezuela. Mm-hmm. The case in Venezuela is that the two parties, right. they were the owners. Right. The two parties were not entrepreneurs or private sector. Mm-hmm. They were just the owners. Mm-hmm. So the ministers and the 
officials that were designed by the president because all that positions were not by election, mm -hmm. just, but just direct des designation of my friends. Right. So they were putting people in positions handling corporations of iron, aluminum, oil, the mines, everything. They were handling 90% of the economy. Mm -hmm. And still you don't see any private company. Then there is private companies, satellites, try to shape themselves to be providers or in some way connect like, like in the to United the government. States. Exactly. Yeah, but the power was on the side of the government. Mm -hmm. And this they were trying like parasites to, to get something of the of the wealth. So when Chavez started saying these companies control it, we were all watching our faces like who? Like it no. But in the international spectrum, it sounds like very logical. Oh, yes, of course. That's what's going on in Venezuela. We said, no, you got to come here. You got to understand. What happened is that now the previous two parties that nobody likes right. disappear and Chavez and his people took the position of them and even increased the preponderance of the state. But now the state is socialist. Right. And I am the one signing the checks of who gets money. So I have the power. Just love me and hate the others because I'm giving you more than, than I, the I, I'm others. Gonna, I'm going to go into that in a little bit as far as power, etc. because I think we have to be, uh, we have to be a little bit, well, we'll talk about it. Let's bring Tori into the conversation because uh, Tori is a historian that uh, likes to talk about these issues as well. So Tori, come on in. Tori, you're hot. Uh, we have to put Tori on the board, I think, uh, bring the, the phones into the board. All right, Okay, Tori. so, uh, yeah, I started uh, Venezuelan Solidarity Network in Houston mm -hmm. right after Chavez was elected because, mm -hmm. you know, we loved him. And he was socialist from the beginning. You know, he was, didn't surprise anybody. You know, we all knew that he was against the capitalist tendencies of the government. And, you know, what your guest is saying is correct as far as the – Technically, the ownership of the oil company was the state. However, there was like a cabal of engineers that had their – they completely controlled that industry. These are the engineers for the National Oil Company, and they were in cahoots with Exxon and these big uh, international and foreign uh, oil companies against the people. And so Chavez came in to liberate that. He, but one thing he did, he came in and he fired these engineers. And so, you know, just to try to get actual state control back from these people that uh, were technically working for the state, but were actually just working for themselves. Tori, you got ahead of me. created a whole separate class of people right. in Venezuela. Tori. Like an ownership class. Tori, hold a second, because you got ahead of me, because I was trying to get, I was trying to get uh, John to come into that domain where I started to say that we, and, and by the way, I think all three of us actually are in agreement. Yes, nominally speaking, it is all state controlled. But you, as well as I do, as I know, and John knows, nominal state control means nothing if there are backdoors for others to gain power. True? Yeah. And it had been taken over. Exactly. I mean, it was it was a coup, an internal coup almost. <laughs> okay. Uh, go ahead. Sorry, Terry. Uh, yeah, it sounds funny to me. But, I, I, I mean, I, I want to take your opinion. And, yes, PDVSA, right. the, the oil company, the, it had – a separated administration, not the same as the normal government public yes. administration. That was a disaster. Yeah. So the government yeah. administration in Venezuela, even though we were so rich, you were to any public place and you went into a bathroom and it was dirt and there was no toilet paper. It, it was a disaster. The public administration, PDVSA, the oil company actually worked. Mm -hmm. So, yes, there was a different management that has a lot of rules, but that good working company was controlled by the Ministry of the Mines and Energy. Right. That was a governmental institution. What and Venice and PDVSA, the oil company had a board and they had to present every year. They went to Congress to present the balance of the results and all the profits of the company were to going to the government, which as it should. So, and, and 
with whatever all the narrative uh, that there was a coup and take a control, that money that went to the government, even after paying their salaries, that they, yes, they got good salaries. But after all of that, it, Venezuela was the richest country and was receiving the most money that any other country has received from oil in the story of the humankind. Yes. So it wasn't true that they were stealing the money, that all the money was being handled finally by the government, all the profits. Yes. Can I jump in for a second? Yeah, it has ahead, a lot Rory. to do with the management because the foreign companies were had the controlling interest and, you know, like 51 percent. And, and it's not just about the profit; it's about the management. You know how all things no, can be that, done before nineteen before nineteen seventy four. Terry, yes, we had like uh, Creole and Epson Mobil and Shell and the actual in, international companies was there. Then Carlos Andres Perez, mm, that's the, my guy, the yeah. central left party, nationalized the oil, right? Which and, he should have. Yes, all the. All the uh, the assets and refineries and everything now was owned by a national corporation called PDVSA. Mm -hmm. So, in the, from that moment on, we still had some contractors, after Schlumberger and all the drilling companies mm -hmm. that were offering their services, but they were not the owners and they were not the managers. They were just providers to the big company called PDVSA, and PDVSA develop an own style or culture of management very good and it was you know a lot of our auditors and and uh, you know all the eyes of the com of the world where of the whole country was making care that they didn't steal the money but after i can remember distinctly when uh exxon pulled out you know this is after chavez had got elected and uh They wanted 51% control, and Chavez was like, no, Venezuela should get 51% control, and that's where it cut. That's where – after Exxon pulled out, that's when all the sanctions happened, and it was all about this 49-51. Who's going to get controlling interest? And it was Exxon that demanded the 51% control. I remember that well, but it's it, – but I mean it's deeper than that because what yeah, – what, yeah. what, what he's referring to is that there was some – fields mm -hmm. oil fields that were in concessions mm -hmm. is to be operated uh with external companies and there was a 50 50 agreement with those concessions and then if 51 or not 51 but but uh i mean the it was peripheral it was contractors it was this field is conceded to this company that was not that they were owners of any kind of the PDVSA corporation. I want to make a statement here though, because I mean, uh, there, there, there's this fallacy, right? And, and, and I, and I, I, br I bring in people from government, you know, local government here to speak all of the times. And these are people who want to be in government and these are people who want to do a good job in government. I think it's a fallacy to believe that. Uh, inherently, the private sector works better than the government. You can have bad government and you can have bad private sector. Yes. Right. And, and the thing about it is, uh, you should leave within the government what works best within the government and what works best within the private sector where there's competition, et cetera, within the, in, within the, within, within the private sector. I find, however, that we as Americans, okay, th those of us that are Americans and you, you're included. We're all Americans now here in Viviendo aquí en los Estados Unidos. Uh, we, uh, have a tendency to just look at things in a black and white manner. Uh, 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 those guys are socialists or not. My contention is a lot of the pain that Venezuela is feeling right now. I'm not denying corruption. I'm not denying any of that, but it's a pain that we as Americans have placed on the Venezuelans for several reasons. Let uh, me explain. That's let, another fallacy. I know, but let, let, me, let me explain. It's not a fallacy that there are a lot of sanctions against Venezuela right now. Yeah. That's a true. It's not a fallacy that Venezuela cannot spend its money freely so that it can participate in the international market. Those are facts that affect all of the people in Venezuela. It may affect a, a lot of the, it, it affects Maduro and all those guys a lot less than it affects the regular people. Okay, so when we apply sanctions because we want to have our way in Venezuela, we are not hurting the we are not hurting neither the the head heads of government or the heads of the plutocracy. We are hurting the average average Venezolano, 
And that's my problem. Yeah, my thing uh, is like work. You don't you don't try to change a country by making the country feel pain. And I feel this personally because this is what was done in Panama. When Bush wanted, when Bush didn't get his results in Panama, he came and he said, we will restrict the dollar. And since we, our Balboa was based on the dollar, it mean all the people in Panama City and Colón and Bocas del Toro and Chiriqui, all of them suffered. You know, and that's what the big countries do to these people who decide to have a different model than they want. Perfect. So, but let me start with your initial question. Yes. So, socialism is a system in which the government takes control of the production means. That's Our, communism. Democratic no, socialism. Communism is, is the ending. Is yes. is when the Suppo everything is supposed to be everything belongs to everybody exactly and that there is no property anymore mm -hmm. and we are all happy and, and we get everything we need right. and we provide everything from our capacities and that's just an ut utop utopia 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 also socialism is whatever in, in before that that is supposed to be a process where the government takes control of everything to be a very good giving back that to the people. In other words, But, giving back to the people what the people earned, right? It's supposed to be that way. Yes. Okay, so what is the result of socialism in Venezuela? Yes, the government took total control that they already had from the oil companies, mm -hmm. and then they took control of the newspapers and the TV. That, took that is wrong. <laughs> I can go through this by fact. Oh, no, no, I can no, no, show no. you. No, no, no. I'm saying yeah. taking over the newspapers and all of that. I'm saying that is wrong. I'm not wrong, saying it didn't but they happen. Did. I understand but that, that. That's what the socialism do. But that's yeah. Can I controlling communication is is necessary to may, control may I, everything? May I answer you in that regard? But, but let me explain you. What There happened. was opposition television stations all through Chavez's regime. Yeah, let, let him so finish. I don't know what you're talking Tori, about. Let him, let him finish, Tori. Let him finish. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. As uh, yes. Uh, Every concession in Venezuela was delivered by the government. Mm -hmm. The government owns the wave space or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, yes, there was three opposition stations that and Chavez and the government had four TV channels that yes. belong previous before Chavez. We already had four. We call it public radio stations and TV stations. It's not like. KPFT. Mm -hmm. The KPFT is public, but it's founded by the people. By the people, yeah. There we call it public TV because it was founded by the state, right. by the government. So Chavez, that was not enough for Chavez having these four TV stations. They he had to, he didn't want to have opposition. Right. So he was just step by step controlling, attacking. From different ways. Chavez had a exchange control. Mm -hmm. So when you have a company, you need dollars to import things. And Chavez started saying, okay, I have an estate control. I'm not giving dollars to you. Right. Because you're not my friend. And I'm not giving dollars to you. And that newspaper need to print the paper. You are not importing paper because you're not my friend. So that's how it happened. And right now. We only now, have five minutes left in the program. Okay. So now we still have those media. Mm -hmm. Those. But all the owners are new. All of them are part of the government of the Chavista government. Right. So we still have media. We still have private stations, but they are all belong to the I, new, the new oligarchy. I, 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 let, let me tell you, first of all, there, everything that you said there was true. All right. Uh, there comes a time, however, when you have a plutocracy so intent on destroying the other. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not really defending any side here. What I'm trying to say is, Uh, we can't make believe that one side is good and the other side is bad because that's not well, what is occurring. But you got to see the result. No, no. The what, result, what was the result, the result of the revolution? Was, let me it tell you. Destroy the, the country. No, no. Actually, the, here are some truths. The truth is under Chavez, poverty sunk during his initial phase. It, there, was, there's, it was fake. No, no, no. It wasn't yeah, but we, we Let me explain you how it happened. Just in this five last no, minute. You got one minute. One minute. <laughs> yeah. The government handles the information. You have um, a exchange control. Yes. There is an official exchange rate and a real exchange rate. Right. You report to the United Nations with the official exchange rate. Right. You say that your people is receiving, I don't know, $50,000 a year because you are giving them this 
governmental helps that right. it, it means $50,000 because you are using the official exchange rate. If you use the real exchange rate, the people is receiving $3,000. So at the end, it's not real. No, it's just, actually, it's information. Let, 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 no, no. And, and what you, I, right not, now, that's if, not true, if the though. socialist revolution would have been okay, you Sir. would have a country now. No. What you have, now you have 70% extreme poverty. <laughs> let me, let me just so how that happen? I'll, I'll explain that in a second, but because we have to come to the end of the show in about three minutes, not the end of the show, the end of this segment of the show, because we're going automatic in a few minutes. And uh, first of all, folks, I want to tell you guys, thank you for listening. I'm sorry for the, the, the tough start that we had. Tori, I'm not coming back to you because I have to make a final statement. And here is the final statement that, I, that I'm making. Um, I want to have back into the studio with us when we have the full hour and when we don't have the problems that we had in the beginning to speak to you. But I want to end on, on, on this term right here. And this is very important. Um, the, the truth of the matter is the best answer to whether people are feeling better or less poor is talking directly to the people and all over this country, not to some show. Okay. And we had folks here on the left who did just that, that explained the differences between how they were doing between Carlos Andres Perez and, and Hugo Chavez. And in the beginning of the Hugo Chavez regime, etc., they were in fact doing better. They were becoming entrepreneurs themselves. A lot of the poor people that were never given a chance by any banks or anything, they did better. That's all I'm saying. But uh, so if we want to look at these issues, we, we have to. But I promise you, John, you are coming back into this studio so that we can spend an entire hour discussing this particular issue. But right now, I want to tell those of you that are listening. Uh, remember, Gen Z saved America. And remember also uh, that if you take a look at one of the reasons Venezuela is in the state that it is unlike, I mean, not, not to, not to, uh, really say much uh, to what my brother here, John is saying. We as America, we did a whole lot. Whenever we say, and I lived through it in Panama. Well, I didn't live through it, but all my folks lived through it in Panama. When one country puts a noose around the neck of another country, when a powerful country put the noose around the neck of a poor country or a country where its economic system is dependent on the, on, on the big one, it hurts. And then you can, you can go ahead and say, look at Venezuela. That's a socialist country and look at what happened to it. And then you Please can look at that. And then, but then, Don't go there. But, but then the other question, the other thing is, why did it get that way? And what is America and other countries that are strangling that country to do so that they can say, look at how bad that country is? And that is, those are the things we got to look at. But one final, one, 10 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Egberto, thank you for the invitation. Sanctions are terrible. Uh, sanctions is not, doesn't help anyone, but Venezuela destroyed itself. We destroyed ourselves. It wasn't the sanctions. Mm -hmm. The sanctions just don't, don't help. Right. But the destruction is ours. We, we don't need, we, we're not blaming the United States for any wars. We, your Maduro and Chavez did Thank you so them. kindly, Van. Good having you in the show with us today. I wrote three video blogs this week concerning the election that I want you to listen to. And for those who want to actually see the videos and, and exactly what occurred on these channels, etc., you can go to egbertowillies.com, E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S.com. But uh, this is what sort of occurred in a microcosm first with regards to winning. Uh, many people thought it was going to be a red wave. Some of us have been preaching against this for some time. And guess what? It came to fruition. No red wave. And we also want to show the reaction that you got from Fox News, who have been training its people, indoctrinating its people to expect a red wave. The red wave never came, of course. But what's of most substance here is the reaction by the hosts on Fox News. I want you guys to check that out as well. My good friend Matthew Dowd nailed it again. And you know what is so amazing with him nailing it? It's actually exactly what is happening now. I want you to listen to what he said just before uh, the polls close, and then we'll take it on the other side. 
I, I mean, I, I think that, that we're going to know early on on election night uh, as votes start coming in, which I counsel, I've always counseled every candidate, as you know, Nicole and operatives, is don't pay attention to much or the rumors you hear on election day, whether it's snowing in Minnesota or raining in Miami <laughs> or whether or not there are people lined up at the polls in one place or not, is all of that. It doesn't matter until we actually start receiving votes start in. To me, it, it, I'm, I'm looking at where are we on the early part of the night because the Republicans and many of the forecasters, many of the forecasters and modelers have predicted a red wave. And we're going to know that very quickly, specifically to one state. And we talked about it, and I went and talked to voters there, which is New Hampshire. New Hampshire will close relatively early. It has a key state, uh, U.S. Senate race with Maggie Hassan, and it has two key uh, congressional races that if there is a red wave, you'll see it there. If that red wave doesn't start forming there, it means we're going to be in for a very mixed and different night than most of the modelers had thought. That's what I think is going to happen. I think we're going to be in a mixed night in the course of this. I have a theory. <laughs> As you know, I have many theories. But I have a theory <laughs> that what happened this year is the, op is the same thing that happened in 2016, but the opposite. And in 2016, all the modelers and forecasters overestimated Democrat support and underestimated Republican support. I think the reverse has happened today, which they've underestimated Democratic support and overestimated Republican support. Already today, already today, even in the polls, the objective ones, Democrats are already overperforming because traditionally the out party that doesn't hold the presidency loses in the first midterm by an average of seven or eight points. It's happened in every single midterm starting in 1982, with the exception of Bush's when he had astronomical approval ratings in 2002. Democrats aren't going to lose this race by seven or eight points in the course of this. That's the norm. So they're already overperforming. And so I'm very interested in the early returns and what it gives us a sign of, because what I think it's going to give us a sign of is all those Republican polls that flooded the zone in the last week we're wrong and we're way overestimating Republican support. And then we're in for not only a long night, we're probably in for a long week. Matthew, you hit the nail on the head. And by the way, and not to pat myself on the back, but my politics and right folks would tell you that I've been saying the same thing as well. This stuff, these polls, it was, it's not that the polls are wrong. It's that how the polls are doing and also forgetting that a poll is not static and that there is, in fact, acceleration when folks start to see, oh, my God, we may actually lose everything. Man, that was a good call right on the money. Let's see what happens. I simply could not believe this one. I couldn't believe that a host on a national cable network would say this about women and how to get them to start voting Republican. I swear, you won't believe it. Check this out. We'll take it on the other side. Juanita, Republicans had another idea for how they can expand their base. I want to share what one Fox News, Fox News host is suggesting. Please oh, watch God. <laughs> Single women are breaking for Democrats by 30 points. And this makes sense when you think about how Democrat policies are designed to keep women single. But once women get married, they vote Republican. Married women, married men go for Republicans by double digits. But single women and voters under 40 have been captured by Democrats. So we need these ladies to get married. And it's time to fall in love and just settle down. Guys, go put a ring on it. Just... Put a ring on it. I'm pretty sure you Beyonce cannot make up this stupidity. <laughs> you cannot make this up, Steph. And it's not it's not just chauvinistic. It's just plain ignorant. Like you think that's the pitch that's going to get young, independent women on your side. Like and, and what kills me is that Republicans are so anti-woman. His response is get a man in your life to control them. 
That's the rebuttal here. That's the response here. It's just disgusting. I, I, I expect nothing better from those folks over at that other network. And, and honestly, it just reaffirms how much they are anti-women, how much they hate women. And that fear of women who are independent, that fear of young people, that's only going to continue to grow because you're not getting anybody on your side with this argument. So shout out to the independent women. Shout out to the young people who are rejecting this disgusting argument from the right. You, you, you have to ask yourself, don't these guys read? Don't these guys talk to independent women? Don't these guys talk to women in a manner that, let's say, they can understand? How dear one says, oh, uh, single women, the only the way to get them to vote Democratic is put not not try to not try to engage her, but put a ring on it. So the woman is not only now not a woman, it's a thing that you command. It's a it. I mean, when I saw this tonight, I couldn't help but cringe. But here's the funny part about it, guys. You want to know why Michigan is now all blue? Every elective office is as well as the state house and the state senate. You want to know why the same applies to Minnesota? You want to know why all these other uh, races that were thought to be lost are coming back in such a manner that if the Republicans get a majority of four extra votes in the four more votes in the um, house. That's about all they can get when it's all over. This is the reason why you want to know why women don't vote for Republicans. In other words, most single women and a hell of a lot of married women. It's because that is a troglodytic mentality. We're talking about. It's two. 2022. It's hard to believe that we still have people this way. But you know what, folks? It's our fault. We need to vote and vote appropriately. We need to stop being just single issue voters that they that they have us nebulously forget about all the other things that they're doing. We need to look at the totality. We need to look at their chauvinism. We need to look at their sexism. We need to look at their misogyny. We need to look at their racism. We need to look at all the isms. It's not that we progressives don't have our isms or even partake of some of those isms, but at least we know it. And at least we're trying to do something about it. You know things are bad when Fox News comes out against the Republican Party. And they had a, a commentator, well-known commentator, Mark Thiessen, on. And he had a hell of an indictment on the Republican Party. I mean, I want you to listen to it in his own words. Because it is important to see the dejection. I've been looking over Twitter and a lot of other places where conservatives are up in arms. Now they're, they're turning against their own party. How could this really happen? Check out what this guy has to say, and then we'll take it on the other side. Think about this. We have the worst inflation in four decades, the worst collapse in real wages in 40 years, the worst crime wave since the 1990s, the worst border crisis in U.S. history. We have Joe Biden, who is the least popular president since Harry Truman, since presidential polling happened, and there wasn't a red wave. That is a searing indictment of the Republican Party. That is a searing indictment of the message that we have been sending to the voters. They looked at all of that and said, and looked at the Republican alternative and said, no, thanks. That is, that is a, the Republican Party needs to do a really deep introspection look in the mirror right now, because this is, this is an absolute disaster for the Republican Party, and we need to turn back. We need to start, we need to look at who won today. Ron DeSantis, DeWine, uh, these, these governors, Kemp. Kemp. Abbott. Abbott, you know, look at these governors. This is the path mm -hmm. to the future. At electing these, 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 uh, you know, these, these radical candidates who, who ran far behind them 
has put the Republican Party in a terrible position and voters have left and have have indicted the Republican Party. Now, listen, um, they don't get it. I mean, I understand this guy's dejected. This guy feels like, yes, Americans deject, re- rejected the party. But there's one other thing that he, he himself is yet to notice. He puts his, his hopes in DeSantis. He puts his hope in uh, uh, the Texas Governor Abbott and a few others, uh, Republican governors or, or senators that won. The thing about it is, if they become the norm, if, if I mean, Abbott only wins in Texas. DeSantis only wins in Florida. All these Republicans are in specialized cases. So I would like to tell this young man, bring it on. Let's have Abbott run. Let's have DeSantis run. And let's have a lot of mini DeSantis and a lot of mini Abbott's run. Because the truth is, the Democratic Party never challenged these guys as they should. As I said on KPFT last night during our coverage of, of the, uh, the election, imagine, imagine, based on what Americans say that they want, the policies that they want, if we were ever going to make hard-hitting ads and hard-hitting engagements with people to let them know what we are going to do and why these other guys are the ones stopping it, why these guys are the ones killing your mother, why are these guys the ones starving your children, why are these guys the ones taking away your wealth, why are these guys the ones passing all the policies that allows corporations to rip you off and you put it in bread and butter notions that people can feel. So yes, run a lot of mini DeSantis, run a lot of little Abbots. Because you know what? I think Democrats are starting, well, I don't know about Democrats, progressives are starting to say, you know what, to hell with what the elitists on the top are trying to tell us down. Listen to Brother Carville, even though Carville to some extent is a neoliberal, but listen to Carville when he says, don't have the Ford Foundation telling you how to fight. Because a lot of times they have ulterior motives. They don't want Democrats to win too much. They want them in the lead because they're more humane. But they don't want them really in full power because then we get a society that protects everybody. And you have to realize now, our economic system is not designed that way. Our economic system is designed to move everything up to the few and have the few be in command, a patriarchal society. But you know what, folks? Just like the Powell Manifesto came out when people were getting too smart, these guys are worried that people will get smart again. And all the structures created by the Powell Manifesto, the Heritage Foundation, the Cato Institute, and all these things that misinform you to have you vote against your interests, it's coming apart. That's your fear. Folks, Bring on DeSantis. Bring on Abbott. Let's see how far the party gets. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed those those short snippets along with the commentary that I gave for each one of them. Folks, please remember to go to kpft.org, kpft.org, and support the station the best that you can. Also, do remember that come on back to Politics Done Right, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays at noon. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right, and you guys know I am this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.